Good morning. Uh, Elizabeth uh, has a, a, a little announcement uh, to begin with. We're trying to make sure that everything gets recorded this week. Uh, next week, I'm going to be teaching. I've got kind of a big assignment that I've given myself about the catechism and the commandments and the ninth commandment about not bearing false witness. But for a little help um, in talking about the commandments, I'm handing out these little pieces of paper. I borrowed it from some, um, something I saw on TV, actually. <laughs> and I'd like you to tell, just put some words down about the Ten Commandments. It can be of your earlier experience or recent experience. And that will inform the talk next week. So come next week and find out. Thank you, Elizabeth. I suppose you could say, well, let's, yeah, let's, uh, let me make an announcement about the, the uh, use of the microphones. Um, we have people on each side who will, who will hand you a microphone. So the reason uh, for using those microphones is that if you don't use them, you can't be heard on the recording that we make subsequently. Um, so, and we, we have an, an audience out there, I guess, uh, who wants to, wants to hear these things. So, um, thank you for waiting just a, just a second while the guy gets you uh, the mic. I suppose that the, you could say that the uh, thesis of this teaching series is that the way to comply with the Ten Commandments and, and any uh, true commandment of God is by uh, developing the Christian virtues. That would be full compliance, you might say. Um, and, um, and so that's what we're, that's what we're um, exploring. And, and today, I want to think a little bit about compliance with a commandment, and uh, particularly in, uh, about compliance with the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Um, and then I want to talk about two of the virtues that I take to be compliances with that uh, commandment. It's, these are not the only ones that would be uh, uh, compliances with it, but, but they would be important ones. And those would be forgivingness, being a forgiving person, and gentleness, being a person who has kind of an anticipatory compassion and is kind of looking out for being, being careful about ways of hurting people, um, either by word or by, say, consequences of your deeds or whatever. So a gentle person is a person who's not harsh, right? We, we, we all know people who are a little, little on the harsh side. Uh, they seem to go out of their way to jab you and <laughs> Uh, make you uncomfortable, um, but gentle people are careful about um, about irritating others and try to uh, 
anticipate that with compassion. Um, so let us, <coughs> I want to begin with a, an opening prayer. And this is the last sentence of the general thanksgiving in the Book of Common Prayer in the older language. The prayer goes this way. Let us pray. Give us that due sense of all thy mercies that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful and that we show forth thy praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to thy service and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days. Now that prayer, which is a, just a magnificent, lovely uh, prayer of thanksgiving, the whole prayer, I only read the last sentence. Um, that prayer is a kind of reduplication of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which I uh, talked about the first time I, uh, I addressed this, this series, and which Aaron Hill uh, expounded very beautifully uh, on the last, let's see, was, was it the last time? <laughs> I think maybe it was the last time, last Sunday. Um, that, that Romans 12, 1 and 2 goes this way. Therefore, starts with this magnificent practical therefore. Uh, and it, the, um, what, what he scoops up in that, in that therefore is the whole first 11 chapters of Romans uh, in which... Um, It, um, in which Paul talks about the sin that, that humanity has fallen into, uh, the new Adam who has come to redeem us from that sin, the glory that is awaiting us in the, in the time to come, in the new, new world, and uh, then the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel uh, through the church and the, and the eventual redemption of Israel, or at least a remnant of Israel. And then he says, after those first 11 chapters, he says, therefore, <laughs> therefore, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the compassion of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the, the, the dialectic there is... God has given us this unspeakable gift and now we give ourselves, right? We give ourselves back in thanksgiving. Uh, 
it's like a token of our gratitude. <laughs> um, and and that, that the word uh, that he uses for uh, present your bodies, which means present yourselves, right? Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. The idea is an offering. It's the idea of a, of a gift. You're giving back. And, and you're giving not only to God uh, in worship and adoration and the spreading of his word, but you're giving to people, right, to his children. Uh, you're you're open-handed. You're generous. Your whole life is a kind of gift-giving. And that's and so that way of thinking is that is that transformation of the mind that he's talking about. So so when we have completely internalized that idea that. We are debtors to God for his goodness to us. And therefore, we are givers <laughs> of good things, both to God and to our fellow human beings. That, that, that's the, I called it the dialectic. Dialectic has to do with dialogue, right? It's sort of a back and forth thing. Well, the, the th giving thanks is a, is a back back and forth thing too. We give, we're given and then we give. Um, so, um, so that's, that's the kind of, that's the mindset or the, uh, the philosophy of life, <laughs> you might say, the, the way of thinking about self and other and God and the world. That's, that's the thinking that is sort of essential to the Christian, Christian mind uh, and heart. It's, it's mind-heart, right? It's not just intellect, but it's the, your thinking heart as well. Now, let's think just a little bit about compliance with a, um, with a law. Um, I think you can distinguish two kinds of compliance. You can think of uh, compliance with the, with the letter of the law, and you can think of compliance with the spirit of the law. And the, I think the, the premise here is that the law has a law giver that the command has a commander, that, uh, that a mind, <laughs> you might say, stands behind each of those commandments. There's a reason. And the, the commander has a reason. It's not just, he's, he's not just you know, trying to make sure he stays in control or something. He has a reason for giving a law, like you shall not murder. And, uh, and to, to, to conform to the spirit of the law is to adopt that reason. It's actually to internalize that reason, to say, that's my, I, I have that reason too. <laughs> you know, I want the same thing that my commander wants in commanding me to do this thing. 
So that's, the, that's what real compliance is, right? Full compliance. It's being of, the, of a, being of a mind, the same mind as God, <laughs> being of the same mind as your commander. Now, I take it that both forgivingness, being a, being a person who just has a kind of a, a need to forgive, <laughs> you know, a, a, so, much, uh, so much interest in being reconciled with everybody and not just, and, and especially with those who have offended uh, you in some way or done some harm to you, just this urge to, this desire to be reconciled. Uh, that, that's kind of what the, the forgiving person is like. The for, forgiving person doesn't bear, bear this grudge and sort of enjoy uh, being angry and being hurt and uh, nurturing his resentment and, and all that. He wants to get out, out from under it and to give to the, to the offender. He wants to be reconciled with that offender. Um, and something similar can be said about gentleness as a virtue. Now, Jesus says, um, when he talks about forgiving, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, and there's, there's that sort of dialectic, right, that, that, that reciprocity. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a, uh, we have been given forgiven, and, and now we, we give in, in, uh, in response. Um, <clears throat> now, Jesus tells a parable here in Matthew 18, uh, 21 to 35, um, about forgiveness. And there's a kind of ambiguity here because Peter comes to him, to Jesus, and he asks him, how many times should I forgive somebody who, who injures me, who does some, some, who hurts me, and does so in a wrong way, right? I mean, this is really a wrong. It isn't just a, um, it isn't just a, mistake or an accident or something. But this person has actually hurt me, and, and how many times should I forgive him? And, uh, and then Jesus tells this parable. <laughs> and, but, and the par- but I say there's an ambiguity because the parable is not, uh, is not literally about um, forgiving sins. It's about it's about forgiving a, a monetary debt, right? But so there's a kind of a of a back and forth here. Uh, but it's also, I think, generally, uh, they are they are analogous, very strongly analogous. They're both there's a, both both a, a, a debt in each case. Okay, so. Um, I'll read you this parable. Um, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, 
If another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, and now he tells the parable, for this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. This is an enormous amount of money, just like you know, what Trump owes for his delinquencies. When, um, when he began the reg- okay, so 10,000 talents, and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees before him, saying, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, that's the word compassion again, we've had that in the Romans 12 passage. Out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a lot less, just a little, little debt, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. When his Lord summoned, then his Lord summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father also will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, my question for you, Paul, <laughs> is what was wrong with that servant? What, 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 why, why did the, uh, the, you know, the, the second uh, the servant who was forgiven so much, why didn't he get it? I mean, it, it, he, there's a, there's a, I think a fairly natural dialectic there, right? I mean, I, I don't think you even have to be a Christian to, to realize that if someone does a nice thing for you, that you reciprocate at least by being nice, by th- saying thank you. And then, and then when somebody else, uh, you know, gets in a similar trouble, you're, you're more inclined to kind of give, Give a little grace there too, and uh, so. But this servant didn't get it. He didn't get that that connection. <laughs> and my question is, why do you suppose he didn't?
<coughs> Possibly he was very greedy. Greedy. Okay. <coughs> yeah. Greedy. <coughs> so he was he was thinking about <coughs> he was thinking about the money. He wasn't he wasn't uh, sort of uh, <coughs> appreciating the the spiritual dimension of this thing, the magnanimity of the of the king. Um, and instead, he focused on the money. I think that's that's very good. Any other thoughts? Any? <coughs> yeah. He might have felt entitled to being forgiven and felt like this other guy didn't deserve it. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> he felt. It's, it's only reasonable that the king should, should do this for me, right? I mean, this is, this is, the, this is what kings are for. <laughs> but I'm not a king, so I don't have to do it to somebody else. Maybe that. Again, there's a kind of a focusing on, on the, you might say, the crass advantage <laughs> here. <clears throat> this sense of entitlement or the, the greed. Yeah. I sympathize uh, with this Matt. guy 100%. So if I send an email to someone and they don't reply to me, I get offended. But there are maybe hundreds of people <laughs> who have sent emails to me. And I never, I, 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 they're probably offended, but I'm like, well, you know, it was to me. I don't have time to reply. And so I, it's just a pure instinctual self-centeredness that I... Uh, Sharon, 100%. I totally, I sympathize with this guy. <laughs> you sympathize with the uh, delinquent uh, servant. <laughs> okay. Uh, Bob, I, um, the um, word came to me, sucker. The, sucker? The king was a sucker. Oh, yeah. I, I, got, a, I got away with it. Yeah. And, and that kind of, I've seen that attitude oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah, that, there you go. Okay, um... <clears throat> I think that it's easy to think about forgiveness as transactional occurring uh -huh. in the moment with the person and, and certainly this parable speaks yeah. about it in that way I'm struck by a word um, that is right above the question here on the handout the word prone uh, or personally prone I think that forgiveness can be transactional but being forgiving is something that is practiced and developed long before the moment of the transaction. So why was the servant not forgiving? Perhaps he wasn't prone to forgiveness. Perhaps he hadn't been practicing it. Yeah, okay. And maybe he hadn't been practicing the dialectic of Romans 12.1. <clears throat> right? He hadn't been he hadn't been transforming his mind uh, into this kind of gift generosity uh, thinking, and so he was he he was thinking transactionally, you know, in that in that crass, sort of crass transaction sense. 
there's a there's some kind of transaction, I suppose, in the in the gift versus gift gift uh, generosity dialectic too. Mike, oh. uh, I just want to say if to possibly put it in more um, maybe more day to day human terms, if you look at an individual who is already really mired in debt and was forgiven, that perhaps that person had spent a long time in that position, and I think. Oftentimes, a mindset can be that you're just, yeah, yeah, that you're just so completely mired in that and so overwhelmed that even though your debt has been forgiven, you still have that want. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard to see. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <coughs> hasn't been trained with it. Hasn't felt, you know, hasn't yeah. been in a place where you could give that generosity. Yeah. So that's a nice, that's a nice insight, I think. Uh, in other words, we, we can, I mean, Jesus has the king being extremely harsh about this, right? But, um, <clears throat> but we can see, I think, that circumstances sometimes will just, will just uh, come down on you in such a way that y you, you find yourself unable to think generously. You're just so, you're so strapped yourself. Uh, you're so distressed that, um, that you don't have room for for generosity um. Bob I'm arguing with you on a little bit on this okay um, okay if if the guy had been forgiven a hundred denarii I could see how he might be in that position but this guy's being forgiven something like like Bitcoin guy I yeah. mean so I'm, I'm looking at this guy as a lifetime of really really sticking it to people to get where he is I mean it just seems that that's the Bitcoin sort of direction yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you want to, you want to uh, sustain. I, I'm uh, tough on the guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, good. Well, I think that all of these uh, these answers are all in the in the right uh, ballpark, right? And I think uh, <clears throat> I've got a little formula. So we've got the the dialectic of grace, which is this. I am. I have been. I'm a recipient of, of enormous great grace. Therefore, I'm going to be generous with everybody. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to forgive debts and so forth. Uh, that's that's one mindset. And the, the other mindset you might call is the dialectic of advantage, where you're just looking to 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 maximize <laughs> maximize profits and minimize. Uh, costs, you know, you're just that's that's the way you think. You and you think of every human interaction also in those terms, in in terms of uh, transactions, uh, tit for tat, quid pro quid pro quo, um, and um, and so according to Romans two, if you think if you try to instantiate <coughs> uh, Romans two with that then the mind of the world, the mind of this age, that is, or the mind that conforms to, the, to this age, would be typically that uh, transactional, uh, advantage-oriented mindset, while the Christian, because of this enormous thing that God has done for us, right, in Jesus Christ, 
Whereas the Christian has this whole other way of thinking about it. But my, my task in the, in the world is not to maximize profits for myself. It's to give to the world, right? To give back to God, to, to share, to improve the lives of, of people. Um, and we can, we can look at you know, any number of Christian organizations that, that are actually, that are, that are oriented that way. Uh, I think of, of um, Exodus International, for example. Uh, the whole idea is welcoming those, welcoming those strangers, taking them in, sharing with them, giving to them. Uh, and I don't deny that other non-Christian groups do something similar, but there's a kind of systematic, uh, ideological um, basis in the, in the Christian way of thinking, uh, enabling that. Okay, let me just, uh, I want to, uh, <clears throat> one of the wonderful things about Christian history, Christian social history, is that um, some of these Christian concepts, Christian virtues, get taken over by the secular world. And we might think, okay, that's really good. You know, forgiveness is such a, it's become an industry out there in, in the therapeutic world. world. And the, it's not all Christians who are doing it. <clears throat> but people are advocating forgiveness um, for other reasons. Um, not out of think, thought about Jesus Christ. And uh, one of these people is um, Dr. Phil. You, you know anything about Dr. Phil? <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> but I looked him up on the internet. And he, it turns out he has Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. And <clears throat> his ninth commandment is the one that corresponds to the, to the sixth commandment in the Bible. I think he should have really made them parallel because... <laughs> anyway, let me read to you the, uh, Dr. Phil's take on forgiveness. He says, <clears throat> hate, anger, and resentment are destructive, eating away at the heart and soul of the person who carries them. They are absolutely incompatible with your own peace, joy, and uh, relaxation. Ugly emotions change you, change who you are, and contaminate every relationship you have. They, <clears throat> they also take a physical toll on your body, including street, sleep disturbance, Headaches, back spasms, and even heart attacks. Forgiveness sets you free from the bonds of hatred, anger, and resentment. The only way to rise above the negatives of a relationship in which you were hurt is to take the moral high ground and forgive the person who hurt you. So he's also recommending a little self-righteousness there as an aid to forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is not about another person who has transgressed against you. It's about you. Forgiveness is about doing whatever it takes to preserve the power to create your own emotional state. It is a gift to yourself, and it frees you. You don't have to have the other person's cooperation, and they do not have to be sorry or admit the error of, the, of their ways. Do it for yourself. <laughs> I think that's just precious. Um, <clears throat> but um, but it, it really is uh, an instance of the, you know, maximize profits and, and minimize stress. Okay. I, you know, the... The um, the co-option of of uh, Christian thinking is uh, is widespread. Actually, there's there's also a you know hum humility was never a virtue in the uh, in the ancient world. Gratitude was not a a virtue in the ancient world. Aristotle thought it was only for slave slave-minded people. Um, so humility, gratitude, forgiveness, but these have all been taken over by, by secular thought, and, and they've been transformed in, in subtle ways, right? So here we have somebody advocating forgiveness, <coughs> and yet what he's talking about is not what Christians are talking about. When you forgive somebody as a Christian, you do so because you love them, right? It's for the other person. It's, it does have all those nice advantages. I mean, I'm sure it helps with your back spasms and all that. But it, that's, not the, that's not the motive, right? The motive is I've, I've been forgiven, and I'm going to love my neighbor. Okay, I think we might have... A little time to think about gentleness. Um, <clears throat> gentleness is another, the reason we, uh, we can combine gentleness and, and forgiveness uh, in this particular lesson is that um, they both have to do with anger. Uh, and gentleness is, is less directly, obviously, uh, connected than um, than forgiveness, but the the word um, for the Greek word for um, gentleness is um, is is the same word that Aristotle uses when he talks about the mean with respect the golden mean you know with respect to anger getting anger at the right time for the right reason in the right amount at the right person, and so forth. Um, now, I, I, the, even the new revised standard version, which should be an up-to-date version of the Bible, translates uh, Matthew 5.5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Um, meekness, in, in, my, in my intuition, meekness is a, part, a kind of timidity, a kind of failure of boldness. Uh, it's a, it's not, a, not a virtue, being meek, right? And uh, when, when the Bible says, when, when G- Jesus says, I am gentle and humble, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest, He's, he's attributing gentleness to himself, right? He's saying, I'm gentle. And, and that earlier would have been translated, I'm, I'm meek. Uh, but Jesus is anything but meek. I mean, he, is, he is boldness personified. Uh, <clears throat> um, when he addresses the Pharisees and the scribes, he calls them to their face, hypocrites you hypocrites. And he says, woe to those cities that didn't, that didn't hear his, his message and didn't take it to heart. Uh, and he, you know, thrashes around in the temple to, to get rid of the robbers and the, and the money changers and so on. This is not meekness. <laughs> you might think, okay, it's also not gentleness. Uh, And then, and uh, then we need to think about what, what is the relationship between um, gentleness and gentle behavior. <laughs> um, so in in these cases, Je- Jesus seems to be angry. Doesn't he? he seems to be angry that the um, that the cities didn't respond to him. This is in uh, Matthew 11. Um, he's angry at the at the uh, money changers. Um, and he gets angry at the people who are um, who resent his uh, healing a man with a with a withered hand. Yeah, so he's, he's, Jesus is quite capable of anger, and he's quite capable of harshness. Um, and yet, he's gentle. <laughs> um, and you see that gentleness, uh, say, with the woman who's taken in, uh, taken in sinner in, in, uh, in adultery in uh, John 8, uh, or... Uh, the woman who comes in and um, bathes his feet in, with her tears. Um, he's extremely gentle. Um, he's gentle with tax collectors and sinners, and he's rough with the Pharisees and the scribes. That, I mean, isn't that sort of the pattern there? Uh, and so the the question is, how do you how do you put these things together? What is uh, that's my question to you? Um, how do you put the occasionalness of gentle behavior with the virtue of gentleness? 
Paul, Paul mentions, you know, gentleness uh, several times in his, in his lists of virtues in various places. So how do you put those two together? We have one over here. What about something like be gentle to those who have not experienced gentleness from others for those who should have experienced it, should know and know to reciprocate, then they need correction because they are not reciprocating the gentleness that they have received. Okay. All right. So uh, there's a kind of selectivity about the... The, the gentle person selects the cases in which to be gentle and distinguishes those from the cases in which not to be gentle. Well, is that, would that summarize what you're saying? Sort of. I think it misses the prior knowledge that the people who are being selected not to be gentle to have already experienced the gentleness. They've already experienced, they should know this by now. They, it's kind of like with the disciples. You should know who I am by now. I've told you so many times. Now I need to be a little harsher to you because you're just not getting it yet. Yeah. As opposed to someone who's never experienced it before. And so there's no reason for this tax collector to know that I love him yet. Because he's not read it. He doesn't know that God loves him yet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Five minutes? Thank you. Um, all right. So, so there might be some reasons. You're, you're maybe extending to the, to the reasons for not being gentle in some cases uh, as opposed to reasons to be gentle in other cases. Um, I think that's right. I'm not sure about the, the reasons, the, partic the particular reasons, but I, I think that virtues are, does anybody want to say any more before I kind of say my part? <laughs> you know, virtues are situational uh, dispositions. That is to say, you don't exemplify the, a virtue, uh, a given virtue, you don't exemplify in every, in every case. Uh, so not every case calls for courage. And so you don't exemplify courage. And you might, even, you might even run away in some cases as a courageous person. That's not incompatible if, if that's sort of the appropriate thing to do. Uh, but then courage is the ability to stand up against the fear if, if you need to. Well, I think gentleness is like that. It's, <clears throat> uh, it's a capacity to uh, anticipate um, with compassion when compassion is appropriate, right? And presumably with, uh, with Jesus' judgment was that um, the scribes and Pharisees were indeed hypocrites and that they ought to be told that they're hypocrites. They ought to be, you know, challenged uh, with that. And you can't challenge them if you're timid. Uh, and so he... he, he, he uh, exemplifies boldness in those, in those cases, and then exemplifies gentleness where that's appropriate. Uh, that would be my thought. 
Mary, would you like to say something now? Um, just a few minutes. Why don't I just kind of conclude? Okay. Okay. Can you guys all hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, aren't we blessed to have Bob sharing with us? This is amazing. I wanted to, I really appreciated Bob the way you talked about. Yeah, I don't think it's. Um, I really appreciated Bob the way we looked at the motivations of the man who could not forgive after he'd been given basically Mm -hmm. billions of dollars. Um, Because that's what we're going to actually be doing at the retreat this year, is we are going to be looking at what are the parts of ourselves that hang on. Um, Sometimes today we call that the false self, but in the language of Romans, it is the flesh. And Teresa of Avila has this beautiful concept of how we develop virtues in our lives. And she sees it as, first, God plants the seed. Okay, we're not, we can't plant goodness in ourselves. No way. Okay, we're given the spirit. But she says, well, what, how, but we, in gratitude to the Father, we want to be good gardeners and cultivate that seed and pull out those weeds. So I just really would encourage you to think about attending this retreat. Um, the dates are on the back of, on that poster. The cost is pretty minimal. It's $80 for 24 hours, which includes meals. There are scholarships available. But I think when I was talking to our retreat leader, who is a very experienced retreat leader, we've already talked about that, she gave me some ideas of some retreats that she's done. I kind of grabbed a hold of this one because I think it really is the perfect capstone to what we've been doing here. Um, so please, if you are interested, try to, if you are really interested in coming, please try to register this week because we have to begin to plan for how many we're going to have. Next week, we are going to have Elizabeth Roberts, and she is going to be teaching on Commandment 9, do not give false witness against your neighbor. And the title of her presentation is going to be Truthfulness and Love. So please come back. And Oh, also, those little sheets of paper. If you have filled out your six words of what the commandments mean to you, I think it's a wonderful exercise, please put it in her basket. If you haven't done it, bring them back next week, okay? Yeah, she's got the basket. Thank you very much.